Hey guys, this is Pastor Kyle here alongside Pastor Bailey. Grateful that you guys have tuned in to our podcast. We trust that what you're about to hear will be beneficial for your day, and we're grateful that you've stopped by to hear what the Lord is doing in Milledgeville. So welcome. Welcome, you guys, to Full Accord Ministry. We are the college outreach of the Branch Church Milledgeville. Um, my name is Alex Davison. I don't know if I said that already, but either way, um, I'm a resident of the Branch Church. I have the absolute privilege to oversee Full Accord Ministry, and so I'm very thankful that you guys all made it here tonight. It's pretty gross outside, so which is not much nicer in here, but you guys made the trip regardless, so thank you. Um, before we get things rolling tonight, um, there is something I wanted to clarify and ask for forgiveness for. Um, one thing at Full Accord Ministry we strive to do is be 100% biblical. Biblical in everything that we do, everything that we say, and especially everything that we preach. And last week in my sermon that I gave here on Thursday night, I actually didn't make a point that was indeed, it wasn't factual. Um, if you recall, if you were here or if you maybe have listened on podcasts, I made a point about Jesus, and specifically his bones and his bones being broken and his legs being broken on the cross. And tonight I wanted to go ahead and clarify and say that that did not happen. Um, in fact, in John, Ross is going to put it up on the screen, I believe. Um, in John chapter 19, it's, it's, it's kind of plain as day, but... Um, he says this. It says this in, in the book of John. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his sides with a spear, and, I, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that all scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. So not only did it not happen, um, it was a fulfillment of prophecy that it did not happen. <laughs> so I messed up uh, and I wanted to come forward and say that. Um, it is without excuse. Thank you guys, so thank y'all for still coming and sitting before me tonight, despite this. Um, so yeah, why don't they go ahead and put that out there? I'm definitely still learning, um, but thank you guys for being along with me in the ride here. Um, before we get into any more, though, let's please pray with me. <clears throat> Lord, we come to you tonight, God, so thankful for you. So thankful for you, God, that you did indeed give us your words so that we might know you truthfully, God. As, as I myself have personally experienced, if it were not for your word, then I would not truly know you because I would only be left to know what I think be true, Lord. But yet you loved us enough to give us your word so that may not be the case. And God, you did so much more than that. As you sent your son to die on the cross, Lord, to pay not only for our sin, but to also adopt those whom are your children into your kingdom, God. And tonight I come thankful for that, as, as that is a gift that you have given that I will never truly comprehend on this side of eternity. Lord, tonight I pray that you speak. I pray that your word just cut to the hearts of those in this room in a way that only you can cut into the hearts of this room, Lord. For I cannot do that. 
And I pray, God, that you just use me only as a mouthpiece tonight, Lord, and that you speak to those in this room who do not truly know you, Lord, so that they may see you truly for who you say you are in your word, Lord, and that they may come to know you, God. And so tonight I just come praying for that, praying for strength, Lord, and it's in your Holy Son's name I ask and I pray these things, Lord. Amen. So before we get in, even go any further tonight, I'm going to ask for a volunteer. So hands if you want to volunteer. I actually had it pre-notioned in my mind, so before you have to be awkward at that, Samantha Cervantes is actually going to come up. <laughs> so Samantha, if you want to come up. That's my so. I'm not going to make you do what J. Curl had to do a couple weeks ago and lay and flail on the ground like a fish, but I do, I do want to ask you some quick questions, all right? And they're not, they're not meant to trick you in any way. They're pretty straightforward, I would think. So I'm going to ask. For those of you who don't know, Samantha Cervantes is also currently running for vice president. I don't know if she's allowed to tell you to vote for her or not, but... I can. You just spam can't endorse me, which you haven't done, so it's good. Yeah, fam has not endorsed Samantha Cervantes. <laughs> Anyways, Samantha, I'm just going to ask you a couple quick questions. Did you go to sleep last night? Yes. Why'd you do that? Because I needed to. Because you needed to? Yeah. Would it be safe to say because you were tired? Yes. Okay, cool. Um, today, when you woke up and as you went out throughout your day, did you at any point eat food? Yes. Yeah, why'd you do that? Because I needed to. You. Now, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb, right? I'm going to go on a limb, and I'm going to ask, did you get hungry? Yes. Okay, cool. Sweet. Um, another fun question. Now, think about this one, right? Imagine this. Ten years ago, you look at a picture of yourself. Do you look the same? No. No. All right, that's fine. I mean, that's the same for me, too. Um, and, and this one's fun. If, um, pick someone out in the crowd. They're not going to come up here, but just pick someone out. Zach Morgan. Okay, Zach, I love, I actually love Zach Morgan for this example. So if Zach Morgan stood up right now, he's not going to. <laughs> but if Zach Morgan stood up right now and marched himself all the way right up here and smacked you across the face. <laughs> how, uh, how would you feel? How would you feel? Kind of sad, kind of. Zach Morgan's a pretty cool dude. Would, would, now again, I'm going to go out on another limb here and say you would be upset. Yes. That would be true. You would, if yes. Zach, or, or if anyone, but mostly Zach Morgan, <laughs> if he stood up and smacked you in the face, you, you wouldn't be happy. You, yeah. Your state would, you'd be upset. Yes. Well, that's all I really wanted to ask. Thank you, Samantha, <laughs> for coming up. Y'all give it up for Sam. <laughs> yeah, also vote for Samantha. Fam did not endorse her ever. Um... <laughs> Now, this is, I mean, it is so cheesy. Um, but you see, the reason why I asked Samantha these questions tonight is to show you guys how we as people are constantly changing. And, and if anything, it's very easy to make us change. It, it, we, we go to sleep at night and we eat food during the day because of this fact that we are indeed changing. It can be as simple as someone smacking Samantha in the face. That would just set her off like that. If you smacked me in the face, you would set me off like that because I'm a 5'7 man. I have short man syndrome. I'm, imagine like this barking chihuahua that just once you got him going, it doesn't stop. That is, that is myself. 
And, and tonight, tonight, in order to truly understand who God is, we're going to look at His attribute of Him being immutable. God's immutability. Both what this means and its implications for us in this room. And, and so to begin to understand this attribute of God, let's, let's first break down what this word means and give it a definition. And so its origin is the Latin prefix in, which means not, and mutabilis. Now, I don't speak Latin. I'm sure you don't say it that way, but that's how it looks in English. So I'm mutabilis, which means changing. And, and this is where we get our word immutable and its definition, which means unchanging over time or unable to be changed. Unchanging over time or unable to be changed. So when you hear that God is immutable, that's just a fancy theological term for just that. That God does not change. Unlike us in the room, unlike myself, unlike Samantha, every single one of us, unlike all of us, God does not change. And he tells us very clearly in his scripture what we're going to be reading tonight. It's Malachi 3, verse 9, or verse 6 actually, um, is what we're going to be camping out at tonight. Malachi 3, 6. And as you turn, if you don't have your Bibles on you tonight, that is a-okay. The words are going to be, not the words, the scripture is going to be behind me on the screen. Excuse me. Um, if you do not own a Bible, we've been saying this every week and it remains true. Um, if you don't own a copy of God's Word and you would like to, please reach out to someone nearby you as that is a very easy fix. We would love nothing more to help you out in that. But like I said, tonight we're going to be in Malachi 3.6. And in God's Word, He says this, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. You see... There are many places in God's Word where He tells us that He does not change. And tonight I want to look at this verse specifically, as in this verse we see one very important implication for what it means that God does not change. And tonight, while there are many, we're going to look at four ways that God does not change. And we're going to see that God is unchanging in His essence, in His attributes, in His plans, or his promises. Again, God is unchanging in his essence, his attributes, his plans, and his promises. And so the first thing that we're going to look at tonight is God is unchanging in his essence. Before we begin to understand this, I, I'm bringing in a quote from a book that I have called Attributes of God. Um, I do read it and help to study for tonight. Brendan has it as well. I see him look at it. It's a pretty smacking book. Um, it's written by Arthur W. Pink. Um, genius, really. It is like the book on attributes of God. So if you are interested at all and want to know more about that, please let me know. I can send it to you. Like, it's pretty cheap on Amazon, so we can figure that out as well. But when talking about God's immutable essence, A.W. Pink says this. His nature and being are infinite, and so, subject to no mutations, there never was a time when he was not. There never will come a time when he shall cease to be. God has neither evolved, grown, nor improved. All that he is today, 
He has ever been and ever will be. God has always been and always will be. No part of Himself has experienced any bit of transformation. And try to wrap your minds around this with me tonight. For God not to have the ability to change means that He has always been perfect. There was no room to gain any potential. And there is no further potential. He is perfect. And that has not. And that will not change. This also means that God is unable to change for the worse. How? Because He is unaffected by things outside of Himself. Not even time itself bears any effect on God. He is outside of time. He does not deteriorate. And there is no force that you and I can think of in this room tonight that has any effect on Him. This alone is different from anything that has ever been created. And it's what sets Him apart from all things created. It's what makes Him God. And when studying, I found another quote. This one's from Charles Spurgeon on the difference between God's never-changing essence and the ever-changing nature of created things. He says this, We cannot tell you what Godhead is. We do not know what, stu- what substance that is which we call God. Is it, it is an existence. It is a being. But what that is, we know not. However, whatever it is, we call it His essence, and that essence never changes. The substance of mortal things is ever-changing. Do we see this divide early tonight? Everything that has ever been created is also ever-changing. From something as big as the earth, as it's always changing with with seasons, and, and as its landscapes change the way that they look, to the things as small as the cells which makes up our bodies, and their constant aging through time, everything always is experiencing some sort of change. But that is not God. By His nature, He cannot change. He has no potential to grow, nor any threat to decrease, as He is over all creation, since He Himself was not created. Psalm 102, verses 26 and 27 say this, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. We also see, and we will study tonight, that God is immutable in His attributes. We've just now talked about how God in His essence has not and will not change. But what this also means is who God is, His characteristics and His attributes are also never changing. Lamentations 3 verse 22 says this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. All of God's glorious and perfect attributes will never change. 
In that same sense, God's essence has no room for potential because He has no area for growth. The same can be said for His grace, for His power, His holiness, His love, His patience, His foreknowledge, His, his knowledge, His supremacy, supremacy, and His wrath. They cannot change. They cannot grow. But just as God was all-powerful when He created the earth and the universe, just as He was all-knowing in how He would carve out the mountains and, and the oceans, He is still today all-powerful in how He knit each and every single one of us in the womb of our mothers. And He today is still just as all-knowing as He knows all of the hairs on all of our heads in this room all at once. And can we, even to, can we even begin to fathom how infinitely good and glorious these attributes of God are? He is the perfection of each of these attributes, of each of these characteristics. And because He is immutable, they have not and will not change. This is true through time, but also through circumstances. As this leads us into our next immutable trait. God is immutable in His plans. God's plans are never changing. Numbers 23 verse 19 says this, God is not man that He should lie, or a son of man that He should change His mind. Has He said, and will He not do it? Or has He spoken, and will He not fulfill it? You see, God does not begin something, does not set something forward in time to then change His mind. And if you're like me, you may hear that. You may hear that God does not change His plans and that when He makes a plan, He completes it. And you may think to yourself, that's pretty straightforward. But my friend, consider this. We know that God is perfectly sovereign. We know that He knows all things, and that does not change. So in light of this understanding, while also knowing His plan does not change, think through these questions with me. Does God get surprised then by sudden events on the earth? Is there or has there ever been any event in history that surprised God? Has there been any moment in time that caught God any bit off guard? No. There has never been a surprise to God. There has never been anything that caught Him off guard. There has never been anything that took place that He did not already see coming. And not only has no event ever taken God by surprise, there hasn't been or ever will be one that will be able to change His will or His plan. There's no such thing as a plan B to God because His plan cannot and will not change. Read with me Isaiah chapter 46, verses 8-11. through 11, As He says this in His Word. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, 
saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. There is nothing that can surprise him. Nothing that can catch him off guard. And how? Because he orchestrated all things, ever. It was all a part of the plan. And this understanding makes our last immutable trait that we will talk about tonight all the more sweeter. As God is immutable in his promises. So what makes this attribute so sweet? Because knowing all the things his children would ever do, knowing all the events that would ever take place, knowing all the evil that would ever occur in the world that he created, God still never falters on his promises. Think this through with me. I, I did a couple of Google searches, and I, and this number, I, I found this number a couple of times, so that's why I'm using this one tonight. 7,487. 7,487 promises that God made to man in his word. Guys, I have a hard time keeping promises with people who I like plan to meet up with on coffee throughout my week, right? 7,487. And I'm not going to live and die by that number. There could be more, there may be less. But think about this. No matter the amount of promises the Bible makes numerically, there is a promise that far outweighs any promise we can sit around and read about. The promise of eternal life in heaven with God. Read with me Hebrews 6, verses 13 through 20. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Do we in this room understand this promise? Do we understand what God's immutability means for us? You see, God is immutable in His gospel. God is immutable in His gospel. And this is where His immutability meets us in this room tonight. This is where we see all these immutable qualities of God either bring us much joy or true despair. And how? And what do I mean by that? Much joy or true 
despair. Read with me now John 3, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Why is this the case? Look at now with me Psalm 5, verses 4 through 6. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. God is not a God who delights in wickedness. Why is that? Because He is perfectly holy. And He hates sin. And I know as I make that statement here in this room tonight, suddenly things become tense. I mentioned God hating sin and suddenly you can cut the room with a knife. Well, you must see that God is good. That never changes. If God is good and loves what is good, then He must hate evil and evil doing. God is just. That never changes. If God is just and loves justice, then He must hate injustice. God is holy. He is pure. That never changes. It never compromises. If God is holy and loves what is holy, then He must hate what is unholy. He must hate sin. And think about this. As we in this room love something, and I mean deeply love something, we would naturally hate the opposite. All of us in this room tonight who love children, who love babies. If you love children and you love babies, then how do you feel about abortion? How do you feel about the act of killing children? If you love them so much. How do we feel about slavery? How do we feel about unequal rights? And why do we feel the way that we do about these things? Because we love justice. And therefore we hate injustice. I have two baby siblings back home. I have a little sister. She's three years old. And right now she's right at the age where she's actually learning to talk well, right? Not just words, but say sentences. She can say my name finally, which is fun. Um, I go home, it's, hey, Alex. She tells me all about her new dolls that she gets. She literally runs around my house in a princess dress 24-7. And she has a few of them, not just one. I mean, like, she's constantly wearing princess dresses. And I go home, and, and she's a dancer as well. She's literally a small ballerina, right? And I have little videos on my phone where I got to go to her practice one day and watch my dad dance with her. And it was, it was absolutely adorable. But guys, how do you think I would feel if something happened to her? How do you, 
how do you think I'd feel if I found out someone laid a finger on her? Man, if I found out the imaginable, right, the absolute unimaginable, that someone had taken my little sister's life in cold blood, what do you think my reaction would be? How do you think I would feel? Do you think even for a moment that I would just smile and carry on with my day? Do we think that's the case? Do you think I would just be passive about it and, and that, oh, well, it's all right. Do you really think that's true? For you in this room who have loved ones and have little siblings or maybe older ones, and as those of us in this room will hopefully all one day be parents and we'll have kids of our own, man, if someone laid a finger on them, how would you feel? Why is that? Because you love them. And so why is it then that we know God loves what is good and hates what is evil that makes him unjust? J.I. Packer says this about God's wrath. He said, God's wrath in the Bible is never the capricious, self-indulgent, irritable, morally ignoble thing that human anger so often is. It is instead a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. God hating sin is not a matter of irrational anger on His behalf. God hates sin because of His love for what is good, what is pure, and what is holy. Hear me say that tonight. God only hates sin because He loves what is good. And God hating sin is not irrational. It is just. I also found another quote in an article when I was doing some research for tonight. It's Joseph Schumann from Desiring God. He says this, God's love for His own glory is a most sobering reality for many and not good news for sinners. It is, after all, quote, a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And that's Scripture. That's Hebrews 10, verse 31. And do we see that this is every single one of us in this room tonight? Every single one of us. Paul tells us in Romans 3 that every single one of us in this room, outside of this room, all who are in the earth are indeed sinners. That every single one of us has sinned against a God who is perfectly and never compromisingly just. And my friend, if you do not know God, if you cannot truly examine yourself and know with full assurance that you are indeed a true Christ follower, a true child of God, then God's promise of His wrath and your sin is just. Just as it was before time when He orchestrated all things into existence, and it will also be true on the day you stand before an unchanging and holy God. You see, God does not, even for a second, change the way that He deals with sin. If He did, He would be unjust. He would be unloving. 
as he cannot love what is good and tolerate what is evil. Hear me say that tonight. He doesn't change even for a second how he feels about sin. He would be unjust if that were the case. Because he loves what is good. I've already talked about my little sister, man. That does not change. Why? Because I love her. But this is not the end. If it were, every single one of us in this room would be utterly hopeless. We would be utterly hopeless. But just as God has never changed in His holiness, He has never changed in His promise. Hear me say that tonight. Just as God has never changed in His holiness, He has never changed in His promise. Just as God will never change for His justice for sin, He has never changed in His sovereign plan to save His sons and daughters from the death of sin. Guys, this is why God's immutability is one of the most joy-giving attributes for His children. Right after the fall of man, right after the original sin, before God even casted Adam and Eve out of His presence, He promised a Savior. He says in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This offspring was Jesus Christ. God sent his son to bruise the head of Satan, to set Satan under his feet, to crush him, to take away the power of sin. In the process, his heel was bruised. It came at a cost. He bore the wrath of sins for, of his sons and daughters on the cross. But in doing so, Christ rose from the grave and defeated him. Do we see all that has happened? Let's put all of this together tonight. God's essence, his being, is never changing. He is and always has been all-powerful, sovereign over all things, over all creation. These attributes have never changed, never faltered. He created man on earth to glorify himself and to showcase his love for them. That was his plan from the beginning. When Adam and Eve fell to sin and allowed the curse of sin to enter into the world, that didn't disrupt God's plan. That was God's plan. And through this, He was able to showcase His love and His grace for His children. How? By making them a promise. A promise that they did not deserve. And it is immutable. It never wavered. It never changed. No matter how disobedient, no matter how far His children ran. Hear that tonight. No matter how much sin I myself have committed, no matter how far I've run from God, or no matter how lost I feel, or, or no matter how far from God I think I am, as there was a time where I was very far from God. And even though there was that time, I sought everything out that was not Him. And this is the case for all of His children. Not a single one of them sought Him out. Every single one of them ran away as hard as they could from Him. They committed sins against Him. 
When he loves holiness, his children loved sin. Yet no matter how hard his children did these things, no matter how disobedient they are to him, no matter how far they run away from him, no, no matter the evil acts they committed, they could not overthrow his plan. Not a single sinful act was enough to overpower his promise of a Savior. How? Because he is an immutable God. He is not affected by his created beings. He is over them. There is not a sinful act that has the ability to change his mind. Hear that tonight, please. There is not a sinful act that has the ability to change his mind. And think about how beautiful this is. Think about how often you and I not only already experience change already, and how easily affected we are by our surroundings. Just like earlier when I asked Samantha, how would it feel if someone would just smack her in the face? She'd be angry. And think about this on a cosmic level. To a God who created all of the universe. Think about how scary a reality that would be if he were to react and change every time we sin against him. As he hates sin. Think about how helpless a reality that would be for every single one of us in this room tonight if that were indeed the case, if he were indeed affected by every sin you and I ever commit. We don't have to fear him like this. Does this not give us joy for our current situation if we are indeed a child of God? Think about this. No matter the sin I can commit, no matter the depression that I experience, no matter how ungrateful I am for the breath that God put in my lungs right now, for all the gifts that He has given me, as He has given me His Son, His Word, but much more than that, man, He's given me you guys. He's, I'm here right now in front of you all. This is all a gift, right? And yet I'm so unthankful. I have such little faith as I go day by day in, in, in so much of these stress, stresses of, of school or, or even this or, or money or, or just extra things that are not outside, that are just outside of my world right now and I worry about these things. And why? Because I have no faith in God at times. My faith is so small so many days. And yet, God does not change as that would be a proverbial smack in the face to Him who gives me all things. He does not change. It does not affect Him. Man, if it did, what a scary reality. But man, it's not the case, so His children can rejoice. Why can we not have to fear Him like this? Because He is never changing. Look back at our text that we started with tonight. Malachi 3.6 For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. God, because of His immutability, because of His never-changing essence, because of His never-changing attributes, His plans, and His promises, saves His children despite the countless acts of sin that they have committed. And can you rejoice in this tonight? 
Can you say this for yourself? That you are indeed a child of God. And guys, I ask this question because it is the most, most important question we need to be asking ourselves tonight. And this is, this is not a scare tactic. This is me caring for the souls of each of you in this room before me. As I make you sit and ponder this question, why? Why is that the case? Because God does not change. He does not change. When He promises that those of us who do not know Him have no hope apart from Him, guys, I'm telling you that that truth does not change. Call to mind a verse we heard from earlier tonight from the Desiring God article. Hebrews 10, verse, chapter 10, verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. It's a promise made by Him in Scripture. But if this is you, if by God's grace tonight you are understanding your hopeless state truly for the first time, then my friend, there is no shame. There is no shame. Today is the day salvation is then at hand. If you're feeling your need for Christ, He has promised in His Word to save those who seek Him. Read with me Luke 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. We read this last week also. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Psalm chapter 9, verse 10. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Guys, I can continue to show you in Scripture in which the Lord promises to save those who truly seek you. There's so many. There's so many. I had a whole list on my laptop writing these down. A promise that He keeps. A promise that does not change. And praise God if you are understanding your hopelessness tonight because with this understanding, you may cling to Him who will save you from your sin as He promised He will do so from the Scripture we just read. Because guys, when you have every reason to despair, as every single one of us in this room, child of God or not, do, we all have every reason to despair because of the sin in our lives. But my friends, by the perfect promise God made, and the promise that He keeps, and the promise that does not change, and the promise that He promised before time began, and the promise that stays true the day, and the promise that will be true the day that we stand before Him, judged for our sin, He will see the blood of His Son on us, covered us, we will be covered in it, is the more right way to say that. And why? Why can we have faith in that? Because He promised it. And because He promised it, it does not change. If you're understanding this all for the first time in the room tonight, I just ask that you please talk to someone next to you, talk to me, 
Find someone. And just know there is no shame. We want nothing more than to rejoice with you. Please pray. Lord, you are such a big God. Lord, we will never understand you. Though you gave us your word, we will never know you in totality because of our finite minds, and you're so infinite. And God, we praise you for that tonight. You're so infinite that your plan exists outside of time, that before all things even happen, Lord, you tell us in your word that you, 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 you spoke the end from the beginning. From times of ancient, Lord, you spoke the things that had not yet occurred. You knew that they would happen. There is no surprise to you, God, because you are all-knowing and that does not change. Your essence is immutable. It does not change, God. Your attributes, the grace that you show us, God, it does not change. And for that, we can rejoice in you if we are indeed a son or a daughter of you, God. Lord, your plan does not change. It is, it is not altered by the evil in this world, God. As we cannot understand why it happens, all we can do is trust in the fact that you knew it before time even began. And it does not change the promise that you have made for us, God. The promise that you promised us, a Savior, God. And tonight I pray for the hearts of those in this room who do not know yet that Savior that you have promised. Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray that you speak to the hearts of those who do not truly know you, that they would see, God, that you do not change in your holiness. And it is not unjust on your behalf. It is because of your love for what is good, God. And I pray that they may see that they have no hope and that does not change if they do not know you, God. And so tonight I pray that you show them how helpless they truly are so that they may cling to your Son as you tell us in your word that if we seek you, God, that you will show yourself to us. And so, God, I just pray that be the case. I pray that be the case. It's in your Holy Son's name I pray. Amen.